welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay, hi everyone. This is uh, Angie Missouri. I am a very grateful, thankful recovering addict. Um, my sobriety is from March 16, 2015. Um, honestly, I just sum this whole recovery process up as a miracle. Because if someone would have told me two years ago in March at my lowest, most painful time of my life that I'd be able to be free of shame and talk before a group of people to share my innermost secrets and be completely vulnerable I would have said you're you're insane that's that's just not going to happen because I have always lived in my own secrets inside my head and believed that I was unworthy believe that I was uh, unlovable and and believe that I wasn't enough so why would anyone ever want to listen to my story or what would I ever have to share with another person to help them in their life journey um, I'm here today to <clears throat> talk about and share my personal experiences my spiritual awakening, and my very own strength and hope, my tools for recovery, and a little bit about uh, toxic shame and how I believe it was such a part of um, my addiction. In the big book, it talks about the spiritual awakening, and this is what happened for me. I love that part of the book, and it's, it's talking about when a person is really ready for recovery and that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from sexaholism and manifest itself among us in many different forms. And this is very true for me. I believe that everybody's recovery is different. I believe that everybody gets, or I'm just going to talk in the eye, sorry. I got to my recovery and this is how I got here. Um, it was a long, long process. And today I'm so thankful to be where I'm at. Um, a miracle for me as far as the spiritual lightning was becoming aware of my addict. Aware that I was actually two people. The dark side of me, my addict that with all the secrets and lies. And then the person that everybody else saw, which was really a mask for my addict. But now that I know that it really was a battle going on inside me between light and dark, between good and evil, between what I knew was right, but I didn't care because my addict would tell me it's okay. So that's where step one came in for me, understanding that I am completely powerless and that I had the opportunity for my real self to come out of hiding. And hiding looked like the liar inside of me. 
the addict inside of me. And once I started really understanding that um, I could come out of hiding and that I could have a life outside of darkness, what an amazing gift. For me, recovery is the willingness to change and the motivation to do whatever it takes to get and keep recovery. I can honestly say, you know, now two years later, there is no going back. There is absolutely nothing that I want more, even on days when there I'm feeling pain or sadness or, you know, things I don't want to deal with or, or just any feeling that I really don't want, I will still take that over going back into the darkness of living as an addict. After the shock that I was a sexaholic, after the denial, after the initial anger, after the blame, I was ready to accept that I had a problem and I wanted recovery. I needed to recover my inner self that was lost and taken from me as a child. I really didn't know what recovery looked like but I wanted it more than anything. My therapist told me one day in session, she said, Angie, she said, some of the happiest people I know are in recovery. I didn't understand, I didn't understand what that meant. I just looked at her, and I mean, you know, it's one of those deer-in-the-headlight looks like, you've got to be kidding me. And um, on the flip side, I'm like, you know what, there's got to be more to life than this than just living in lies all the time. I'd been searching for happiness. I didn't know what that looked like. I only knew happiness as um, being full of dopamine and um, living in fantasy. That's my happiness. And and I know now that that's just very empty. Um, I was dedicated at it. I practiced my whole life. In fact, I thought back to kindergarten when I was really introduced to lust. I remember the day. And um, thinking, wow, this feels really good when uh, people are attracted to me, even if it's only for how I'm dressed or how I look today or how I act. And that's when it really started. Um, And that was a long time ago. I knew that if I put the hours into recovery that I put into my own addiction, that it would have to work for me because I practiced it every day. I practiced keeping my secrets, the lies, the deceit, the plotting, the planning, anything that I could do, whether it was conscious or subconscious, to keep that addict alive in me. I didn't really have a new cl- a clue about my new life journey, but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's one of my favorite things about getting into recovery is for me when I finally hit bottom finally felt that life was hopeless, finally didn't want to do that anymore, then I was ready to do whatever it took to get recovery. So on March 16, 2015, I had prayed for my life to change. You know, long life's way, I knew that it was wrong what I was doing, but I wasn't serious about getting help because I really didn't know what that looked like. But that very day, and I remember it clearly, I asked God for help, and for the first time, for the first time, I really, really wanted help. I knew it in my heart. I met it. I was acting out. 
I couldn't stop. I was powerless. I didn't think there was any way out. So that very day, um, I'm in my kitchen, and um, I had just prayed to God, you know, God, I really need help. This is, this is killing me. It's killing my family. And um, believe it or not, at that moment, pretty darn close to that moment, um, my husband came home early, and I had my cell phone laying on the counter, and my acting out partner called just as my husband came in the door and sat down at the kitchen. And uh, that's when everything went down. It was ugly. It was painful. My head was spinning. The lies were coming out of my mouth. I was just like, he was asking me who it was. Who am I talking to? You know, and I'm trying to make it sound like it's my mother. And it's, you know, and he's like, that's bull crap, Angie. Who are you talking to? And he just kept pushing me until finally I had to tell the truth. And, you know, at that moment, um, I was completely out of my head. I mean, I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can still see the whole um, scenario going down and, but you know what? It was to the point where I didn't care. Once the truth came out, it was just like surreal. It just, it didn't matter anymore. I felt like, you know what? I don't have a life anyway. So what do I have to lose here? Um, You know, um, the week of discovery uh, for me and my husband was extremely painful. It took five days of disclosure. I didn't want to come clean with everything, and he would push me and push me. I mean, it, it was horrible. It was the worst experience I've ever been through in my entire life. He's He's prior military, and he's been, uh, you know, very experienced with interrogation. And um, it was it was it was like being interrogated because he wanted to know everything, and I felt like I had no choice. Um, I was in survival mode. Um, I couldn't tell any more lies, and I didn't know what the truth looked like. So I panicked, and I had a ton of fear, and um, it was just one long sleepless week. Um, The days were, you know, kind of quiet, but at night, at that point in time, I was drinking really heavy, and he was joining me, and the whiskey had come out, and it was just this horrible, horrible, horrible week. Um, The interesting part was that, you know, here I am still using alcohol, and my dopamine was so high, and my brain was still so hijacked at that point in time and I'm just I'm just trying to get through it and um, through that whole week after he found out I immediately had to cut it off with my acting out partner and I be- and he became my addiction so I didn't have withdrawal at the beginning I had withdrawal from the acting out partner, but it really didn't matter anyway because it was just lust. So there really wasn't a relationship there. So I switched my, my, he, my husband became my partner, which is insanity in itself. 
but he kept, uh, he was willing to do whatever because he's just as sick as I am or was. And um, so the dopamine just kept, I mean, I was insane on chemical. It just, I couldn't believe how much uh, dopamine I had in my system until I began withdrawal. Um, like I said, he demanded full disclosure. He wanted every detail. He wanted reenactment. We went to every location. He took a picture of every place that we were because he was plotting a case against this person to get him fired from his job. And that happened. That was another nightmare that happened from this. But through this whole thing, you know, when I'm explaining all this just to my husband, you know, that the amount of shame that I had was escalating to heights that I never knew was possible. Here I am telling my husband everything that had gone on for the last six months, and not only that, but throughout my life. And it, it was just, I can't tell you, it was kind of like it was a relief to finally have all that out, but yet the amount of shame was just incredible. Um the whole time I'm explaining this, I call it like a shame spiral or, you know, the shame gun. It was like fully loaded because here I am again thinking I'm flawed, I'm worthless, I don't deserve joy or happiness, I'm not enough, and I'm unlovable. And so by telling my husband all these things, this is what's going on inside of me. So all this time, we're in therapy, and we have an amazing therapist. And I know in this program, we really don't talk about therapists, but she is a 12-stepper, and she is a Christian, and she basically saved me. Along with this program, you know, she's like, Angie, you have to get into an immersion. You have to sink yourself into recovery. And I'm still the deer in the headlights. I don't know what she's talking about yet. But during that whole time, not only, you know, the program and the 12 steps was important to me, but for me as an individual, I had to find out why. How did I get here? I mean, what really happened at age five and on in my childhood that set this life course for me? You know, what happened at that point in time that, made my mind go a certain direction to think if you do these things, then yes, you are worthy or yes, you will be lovable. And that was important to me. And I'm still on a journey putting these pieces together. But just, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But, you know, for me, I was sexually abused when I was either 10 or 12 years old. I can't really remember. I know I've talked about it throughout the meetings. Um, but that devastating uh, uh, point for me was um, when I went and told my mother. She completely ignored me. She didn't stop. She just said, honey, that is ridiculous. And that was the end of the conversation. And I mean, I, in my mind's eye, I can see this little girl just, you know, really reaching out to her mother and just completely validated, I'm worthless, 
I'm unlovable. My mom isn't even going to stop to listen to me. I mean, this is like the the largest, most, I mean, the, the ginormous thing of my life of 10 or 12 years, let alone my whole life of 50 years, and nobody, she's not even going to stop to listen. And that just, I became a frozen person. My whole inside froze. You know, the flight, fight or freeze? Well, I froze. And at that moment forward, I had to take care of myself because nobody was going to. I had to survive and I had to do whatever it took to survive because I realized I was completely on my own. I was full of shame and I was alone. It was the most painful time. You know, here I am needing, I needed love. Um, I needed acceptance and I didn't get any of that. Later on down the road, you know, this is a lifetime process and, and I'm going to talk more in the present now about how it's important for me to put all these pieces together. And I found out that my family of origin was full of secrets. Um, you know, I realize now that for me, we're given choices and we're given a path. And every day there is a choice and there is a path. And I can either stay on the path that I'm on now or I can make the choice to go on the other path because I know that this was my set of cards and it took a lot of roads to get here. And all families, mine, family was full of dysfunction. I had my basic needs growing up. I had my food. I had shelter and I had clothing. And after that, nurturing and the love that I needed and, and all those things that a child needs was not present in my family. They did the best they could. And because of the way that they were raised. So I really got into my family tree and not to spend a lot of time on it, but going back to my grandfather's mother, she was actually killed in a brothel. So, okay, when I found that out, I'm the fourth generation of alcoholism and sexaholism. And and keep in mind, these are all secrets. Nobody in my family ever talked about anything. My mom, when you talk about feelings, she'll only talk about what she interprets as love. She will not talk about pain. She will not talk about anything else because I believe she's frozen too because of what happened in her childhood and her father's childhood. I mean, it just makes so much sense to me, and it's so much easier for me to accept, and that's just me. Um, my dad, he was in World War II. He had PTSD and grew up during the Depression, and he had his whole list of uh, things that would cause a person to be checked out. So I grew up in a very cold environment where nobody dealt with anything. Everybody was frozen, so I became frozen too. We don't talk. We don't touch. We don't feel. And, you know, it's just what I learned and what I knew. And 
like I said, these are things that are important to me to know. Um, I learned a lot about um, codependence and what that means, the controlling, fixing, managing in our family, um, and how that works for me in, in who I picked to marry. Um, it just makes sense. I'm, I'm thankful to know. Um, you know, a little bit about shame. Shame just, it, it is a disease self. It's very powerful. It kept me in my head. Um, it led me to everything destructive because I was trying to self-medicate in any way that I could. And just that shame, like I keep saying, you know, that I'm not enough, that no one could ever love me, you know, that I'm flawed. Those are all messages from toxic shame. And that's where I found out a lot about this. Um, I'm going to move into my recovery part because I know that um, my time's getting close. But like I said earlier, you know, for me, immersion was the most important thing that I did for my recovery. And what that looks like is still today, recovery every day. I cannot tell you how important it is for me to keep my eye on recovery, whether it's a little prayer, whether it's reaching out, you know, meetings, meetings, meetings. When I first heard meetings, 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 I'm like, you're kidding me, right? And when they, when I actually, I went to treatment, when I got home, they said, you need to do 90 and 90. And I'm like, I live in the country. I live 77 miles from a face-to-face meeting. Really? How am I going to do recovery every day? How am I going to get meetings? And that's where I found these phone meetings. And these phone meetings are a lifeline for me. Even though I've met, I know Wendy face-to-face, and I'm hoping to meet some of you in New Jersey, but these voices on these lines, I mean, you want to talk about a lifeline. I would get on the phone, and I still do today, and I listen for those voices who I know are working their own recovery and they and and we all I can't talk about it. I have my struggles and I know that when I hear a voice that it's that voice is there to give me strength and hope and their experience. Every day. That's important to me. Um things that I do I do a lot of prayer. I love the third step prayer mainly because in my recovery today I'm on the fourth step. I've been working on it for a very long time. Um, But when I need assurance and I need strength, I do the third step prayer. A lot of times when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I go to. I love the serenity prayer when I start getting into shame because I cannot change the things of the past. I can't. But today, with the serenity prayer and my higher power, which is God, I know that I can move forward because I can accept it, I can learn from it, and I can go on. It is not going to pull me under. It's not going to do it anymore. I live that way. I don't want anything about it. The fellowship here in my home group, um, I've been to meetings in other states. I don't care where I walk into. When I am surrounded with a group of sexaholics, it is my most safe 
place that I can be because I can be myself. There's no judging. There's no criticizing. It's like, this is who I am. I know I'm accepted. And moreover, male or female, I know that lust has had grip on me. And I know that anyone that has been in the clenches of lust knows what that feels like. There, for me, that pull of lust is so strong. And it takes every bit of recovery that I have every day to not be pulled. It's, it's a magnet. It's, it's just incredibly fierce. Um, meditations I try and do in the mornings. I have uh, Answers of the Heart, which is essay approved. It has a great meditation every day specifically for uh, sexaholics. I do a lot of journaling. Um, anytime something is bothering me, I know that there's a part in the big book that talks about when I'm disturbed, it's me. I love that. And I go in and I try and pick up a journal and I start writing. And for me now, I'm trying to decide and figure out today if I'm reacting to something, what is it that I'm actually reacting to from my childhood? When's the earliest time do I feel that uh, fear or that anger or that frustration? And when I can connect those two, then I can begin to heal. And that's a really important for me. Um, Another thing that's hugely important for me is I try and remove myself from toxic people, whether it's family, coworkers. If I can see the sickness in that person and I know it's not me, I have my own stuff, but I don't want their stuff. And if I can see just toxic spewing from a person, then I know that I need to take care of myself and I need to remove myself. I don't have to get into a confrontation. I can just say, okay, or whatever I need to put up a boundary and get and get out of there because nothing will suck me faster into shame or my addiction faster than toxic people. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it's my husband and I have to learn to walk away to take care of myself. I have to be able to take care of myself by expressing how I feel. That's my responsibility. My responsibility is also letting others know what I need because I'm the most important person here. Not to be egocentric, not to be anything like that, but if I want to stay sober, I have to take care of myself. I have to learn how to take care of what's mine, my own awarenesses, my own ego, my own pride. If I feel like I have to be right, then I need to start evaluating what's really going on with me. Why is this so important? And I will tell you, when I can recognize that I don't have to be right, and I just take my own self and quietly remove myself, that is an amazing feeling that I don't have to win this conversation. My point doesn't really matter. Because all I have to do is make it right with my God and stay right there and keep my serenity. It's, uh, it's like clinging to that rock. I do not want to be in the storm. Um, affirmations are huge for me. Um, I love the affirmation. In fact, I used it for at least a year, and it was, I am God's child. 
and I am a woman of integrity, and I am worthy of love. And anytime I need a great affirmation, that's a go-to for me. And it can be just as simple as I am loved or I am God's child. Um, I really try and uh, not get sucked into triggers. There are triggers everywhere for an addict for myself. It could be something someone says. I mean, our my world that I look around is full of triggers. So I have to be fully aware of triggers that are around me and try and remove myself from that. Um, my boundaries, that's with triggers. I try and protect myself. Gratitude is my quickest thing to pull myself out of lust or any negative feeling. Um, if I can just think of one thing that I'm grateful for, I don't know what it is, but it's just like the whole negative thing has been lifted from me, and I can just be thankful, even if it's something really simple. It's almost like a fog is lifted. It, it is gratitude, and if I can start making a list, it's even better. Um, I try not to justify anything anymore. I don't have to. You know, I did justifying my whole life. And it's not about justifying anymore. It's just about taking care of myself. I um, I try and pause. If I'm in a situation, whether it's with lust or with another person, I just try and pause and think. You know, um, halts I use all the time. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Am I sick? Am I stressed? I mean, if I just use hope on a daily basis, I can keep, help keep myself sober. So I know, I know time is really running short, and I will, I will wrap up. But I just, I am thankful for this new life that I've been given. I am thankful for this gift of recovery. Um, there's really nothing else important. You know? there's nothing in addiction for me it was killing me it was a slow death and um, I don't ever want to go back to that feeling of hopelessness again or being sucked into that spiral um, because there's a whole beautiful world of wonderful people that are there to love and support so thanks for letting me share and um God bless all of you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.